Evidence and Answers. 2 Corinthians 10.5 states, We destroy arguments and every lofty opinion raised against the knowledge of God and take every thought captive to obey Christ. Paul understood that the gospel is never presented in isolation, but in the context of a culture and its ideas. Many of the ideas a culture embraces stand opposed to the message of the cross. To transform a culture, you must engage the ideas that influence that culture. Today, the powerful ideologies of naturalism, relativism, moral relativism, pluralism, and consumerism dominate Western culture. What are these powerful ideas that dominate our culture, and how can Christians effectively engage their culture for Christ today? You're listening to Evidence and Answers with your host, Pat Zucrin. Pat is an author and teacher in the area of Christian apologetics, the defense of the Christian faith. Let's join Pat now as he describes the present culture and the challenges Christians face in post-Christian times. Then the second person got up and shared the same thing. He said, Grandma loved to gamble. Same thing, Grandma, she was good at gambling. And she loved her scotch. Oh, talk about how she would gamble and drink scotch and do all this and that. And you could hear her swearing at the machine. But then when she was winning, uh, and all this kind of thing. And she said, but now she's in heaven. And we'll all be in heaven. And we'll all be gambling at the great casino in heaven. And, um. and then it was my turn to come up. And I said, okay. After all this. All right, here we go. So I went up there, and of course, you know, I preached from the same text with any funeral, John 14. You know, Jesus said, in my Father's house are many rooms, and I go there to prepare a place for you. And they were like, oh yeah, preach it, man. And I said, you know, imagine God's heavenly mansion, and there's a room prepared from eternity past just for you. And I talked about how wonderful that is going to be. And they were like, yeah, preach it, preach it. Second point, Jesus said, and if I go to prepare a place for you, I will come back and take you there myself. So I said, not only do you have a room, Christ is going to be your escort there to the heavenly mansion. And they said, yeah, all right. But then I got to point three. Thomas said, Lord, how will we know the way? And Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. And the whole room fell dead silent. And I said, there's only one way to eternal life, and that's through the Son of God, that's through Jesus Christ. And as I was finishing, I looked up, and I could see all the evil stares <laughs> at me. And then, you know, I said, if you'd like to know God through His Son, Jesus Christ, pray this prayer with me, and I led them in the sinner's prayer, and it was dead silent. But I closed in prayer and concluded the service. Well, afterwards, in Hawaii... Just like out here, you have a meal at the funeral home. And, of course, they usually invite the speaker you know, to the <laughs> meal. And, of course, as I was standing there waiting to be invited, no one invited me. Everybody was gone. So I thought, you know, maybe I'll go over there and see if I can uh, minister and share some words of encouragement to the people there. And I got there, and there was a line you know, waiting for the food, and I kind of came, and everyone kind of stared at me and gave me the evil eye, and I thought, never mind, I think i just uh, go home here. And so I spoke to a few people, and then made my way home. But pluralism, that is the ideology, the spirituality 
of our culture today. Pluralism goes against the teachings of Christ and a simple study of the basics of all world religions soon reveals they teach contradictory truth claims. They teach contradictory doctrines. Philosopher Steve Turner summed it up best in his book, Nice and Nasty, stating, We believe that all religions are basically the same. At least the one we read was. They all believe in love and goodness. They only differ on matters of creation, sin, heaven, hell, God, and salvation. In other words, on the very basics, we are making contradictory claims. So pluralism cannot be true. Well, the final ideology of our time is consumerism. Consumerism is defined as essentially a never-ending desire to possess material goods and achieve personal success. It is a systematic creation and encouragement of the desire to possess material goods and personal success in ever greater amounts. Richard Newhouse stated that consumerism is living in a manner that is measured by having rather than being. Many people use the terms materialism and consumerism interchangeably, but there is a difference. Consumerism is much more than materialism. It is a way of perceiving the world that has affected all of us, especially those of us in the West, young and old, rich and poor, believer and non-believer in Christ, in very significant ways. Consumerism measures a person not by their character, but their possessions, appearance, and status. It is an artificial lifestyle that is pursued with all of one's effort and passion to attain satisfaction, happiness, or, quote, the good life. Consumerism is opposite to the spirit of Christ's teaching in 1 John chapter 3, verse 15, where the apostle John wrote, Do not love the world or the things of the world. For all that is in the world, the desires of the flesh, the desire of the eyes, and the pride of life is not from the Father, but is from the world. And the world is passing away along with its desires, but whoever does the will of God abides forever. Consumerism presents us with the illusion and distracts us from the cosmic truth of man's sin and separation from God. However, we're soon realizing the things of this world fail to fill the emptiness in the human heart. We now move from the ideologies of our time to the resulting attitudes of our time. When it comes to religious beliefs, the popular response today is, I'm spiritual, not religious. Surveys show most people identify themselves as believing in a spiritual reality but not wanting to commit to a religion or adhere to a particular set of doctrines or a particular denomination. Next, we have the new tolerance. True tolerance teaches that we may disagree, but I will not persecute you for having differing views. The new tolerance teaches, since truth is relative, 
All opinions, values, and lifestyles are equally valid and true. It is intolerant to say another person's position is false and yours is true. This is a false and dangerous definition of tolerance. For not all beliefs, values, and lifestyles are equally valid and true. A healthy society should not tolerate groups that teach racism. A healthy society should not tolerate a religion that degrades the status of women. But because much of our culture today has bought into the new and false definition of tolerance, Christians are seen as a dangerous threat. For it is Christians who stand on absolute truth and challenge contrary truth claims of other religions and worldviews. As a result, Christianity is no longer one of many religions out there which compete for the hearts and minds of individuals. Christianity now is perceived as dangerous. Christianity is perceived not only as false now, but also as dangerous. Christians stand against teachings and lifestyles contrary to the teachings of Christ. Therefore, we are labeled as narrow-minded, intolerant, and dangerous to society. The media is quick to highlight Christians protesting gay marriage or abortion, but rarely do they show Christians continuing the relief effort of the tsunami victims in Japan. The military is gone. The Red Cross is gone. Who has remained? It is the Christians who continue to come to countries such as Japan, Indonesia, and the Caribbean islands, continuing to give aid to the victims there. Christianity is not only seen as dangerous, but an irrational, irrelevant religion of a bygone era. Well, in post-Christian times that we find ourselves in, we find that our message is contrary to the ideology and spirit of our time. We preach a sovereign, loving creator in a culture that rejects his rulership over our lives. We preach absolute truth in a relativistic culture. We stand for absolute moral values in an amoral world. We preach an exclusive salvation in a pluralistic world. Well, although these are powerful false ideas that create barriers from bringing people to a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ, this also represents a grand opportunity for the preaching of the gospel of Jesus Christ. You see, the ideologies of naturalism, relativism, consumerism offer no hope, no spiritual meaning, no moral foundation, and no purpose for our existence. Our culture, especially our youth, are feeling the impact of these ideas, and people are beginning to realize the rotten fruit of such ideologies. This was revealed in a significant study conducted in 2003. The Commission on Children at Risk was formed to study the social, moral, and spiritual foundations of a child's well-being. The commission included 33 doctors, research scientists, and mental health professionals from nations around the world. Now, these researchers were not Christian. 
And many of them were not conservatives, but from various views. Their findings revealed some stunning and discouraging results. One in ten students suffer from clinical depression, and there was a high rate of other mental disorders. They summed up their findings, stating this, We are witnessing high and rising rates of depression, anxiety, attention deficit conduct disorders, thoughts of suicide, and other serious mental, emotional, and behavior problems among U.S. children and adolescents. They identified the cause as this, a lack of connectedness, close connections to other people, and deep connections to moral and spiritual meaning. The commission recommended this. And remember, this is not a group of conservative Christians here. They recommended this for what may be the first time a diverse group of scientists and other experts on children's health is publicly recommending that our society pay considerably more attention to young people's moral, spiritual, and religious needs. You see, the present values and ideologies of our culture stand in conflict with God's truth, but also the very nature and yearnings of the human heart. We're born with a God-given desire to find meaning and purpose and to make sense of reality and the world around us. There is a longing for relationships with God, but also a deep, meaningful relationships with others built on a love that is greater than humanly known. There is a longing for truth. And at this time, the world is looking to see if Christians can offer answers and if there's any substance behind our message. When I was speaking at Cornell University, now, of all the Ivy League schools, they all started as seminaries to train young men and women for the new mission field, except Cornell. Cornell University is the only Ivy League school that does not have a chapel. It began purely as a secular institution. And I remember walking around the campus before I was to speak that night, and I knew that Cornell is the stronghold of atheism. Will Provine is there. Carl Sagan was there. I saw the memorial house to Carl Sagan. But as I was walking around the campus, I saw these beautiful bridges and waterfalls. But these beautiful bridges and waterfalls, if you've been there, are barred with these huge metal gates, you know, fences uh, made of very thick, thick wire, bars almost. And every bridge had that kind of fencing. And I remember walking around the campus with the uh, campus minister there, and I finally asked him, I said, these beautiful bridges, how come they all got these fence things that I mean, make it look so ugly? And he said, that's because this campus has the highest suicide rate of any campus on the East Coast. He said, we have friends that work in the counseling department, and they're horrified at the number of phone calls they've got to make to parents of their sons and daughters who've committed suicide. And I thought to myself, a university with as many gifted students as there at Cornell, one of the top universities in our country, but a stronghold of atheism or the worldview of naturalism that can only offer a dark and foreboding future 
This really is no coincidence. Well, I was to speak that night. We didn't know what kind of turnout we'd have. And when I got to the hall, the hall could only seat 400. And there were over 500 students there, standing room only, to come and hear me speak. I was going to give 30 minutes of a defense of the gospel, and then the next 40 minutes is Q&A. We call it the lion's den. Q&A, whatever students' questions want to answer. The crowd was so big, they had to get an overflow room for the 100 students that couldn't fit. And people were just stunned. They were just surprised. I mean, who's Pat Zucran? You know, I'm not Billy Graham. You know, <laughs> who am I? I'm this guy from Hawaii. And he had over 500 students packed in to come and hear a defense of the gospel of Jesus Christ. You know, we had a great time. Questions were uh, difficult and challenging. And afterwards, you know, I stuck around for an hour talking to student after student. Well, the next day, I spoke with a professor, and he stated, in my 30 years here at Cornell, Pat, he said, I've never seen anything like this. And he said, something is happening. Something is happening here at Cornell, but not only here at Cornell, at all the Ivy Leagues. Something is happening. God is moving on these campuses. He said, something is happening. I don't know what, but what happened last night with you, I bet you we're going to see a whole lot more. Something is going on. You see, although we face some powerful ideologies that build a barrier of people coming to Christ, it also represents a very great opportunity if we are equipped and ready to engage the culture. Now, there stands a great opportunity for the men and women of God. Well, in light of the times we face, what are we called to do? Well, some ministries choose to retreat and isolate themselves from the culture. I believe the Bible calls us to engage our culture for Christ. We're called to engage the lost and the ideas of the culture and show that our message is indeed true and therefore provides the best answers to the questions of life and provides the true message of hope and eternal life. Now, in order to successfully engage our culture, this requires information and skill. We need information to present evidence that provides a compelling case for our faith in Christ and answers the challenges from an unbelieving world. But second, we need to acquire skills to tear down strongholds of false ideas and construct a compelling case. We see this modeled by the apostles in Acts chapter 19. Verse 8, it states that Paul regularly entered the synagogue and for three months spoke boldly, reasoning and persuading them about the kingdom of God. Like Paul, we are called to engage the unbelieving world, present a powerful case of why we believe, and persuade unbelievers to faith in Christ by providing reasons for faith and answers to their challenges, as Paul did. 2 Corinthians 10.5, Paul states, We demolish strongholds and every lofty idea that sets itself up against the knowledge of God, and we take every thought captive to make it obedient to Christ. We're called to demolish 
false arguments and false ideas that people hold on to that keep them from seriously considering the message of Jesus Christ. And we'll learn this tomorrow in the seminar we do on turning the tables in dealing with the hardcore skeptic. Hopefully we'll give you the skill to learn how to turn the tables so that you can effectively communicate with a hardcore skeptic and <laughs> demolish the ideas he has or she has that keep them from seriously considering your message. And finally, 1 Peter 3.15 states, But in your heart set apart Christ as Lord. Always be prepared to give a reason and apologetics, a reason for the hope that you have. But to do this with gentleness and respect. We're to present a reasoned, compelling defense with gentleness and respect. And we'll learn how to do this in the seminar tomorrow, constructing your case. Well, we'll learn how to build strong arguments for faith in Christ, how to avoid mistakes, and why good arguments sometimes fail. Well, hopefully, you've come to understand the culture around us and the task that is at hand. It is a formidable challenge for the times that we face. But false ideas are no match for truth. And God's Holy Spirit, which are the weapons of engagement for every believer in Christ. Our call this weekend is to sharpen our skills and become the most effective tool we can become in the hand of our Lord. And it doesn't require degrees and extensive years of study at higher institutions to become that powerful tool that God can use. Shirlene Idue shared her testimony at our fundraiser just a few weeks ago. And she stated, as a Christian, she was a believer but never engaged the lost world for Christ because she wasn't confident she could engage the ideas. Well, it wasn't long till her daughters started getting into junior high and high school and started asking her all these questions, and she couldn't answer them. Well, she heard about our apologetics conference and attended our conference for three years and then attended a class that I taught. And she was so surprised that she was able to answer the challenges posed by her daughters and give powerful, compelling reasons for faith in Christ. But I think her most exciting point came when her 75-year-old dad came and she brought up the topic of Jesus Christ. And he began to ask her all these questions about the historical reliability of the Bible, the possibility of miracles, science in the Bible. And to her surprise, from all the training she had received, she was able to answer them in an intelligent manner. And at the end of the hours of conversation, she looked at her dad and said, Dad, would you like to receive Christ? And he looked at her and said, Yes, I would. At 75 years old, he came to know Jesus Christ as his Lord and Savior and now attends church with Shirlene and her family. And just recently, her young daughter 
discovered that she has cancer and now is in a very battle for her life. And Charlene said, it really shook our faith in God. But knowing not only what we believe, but now why, her faith in Jesus Christ, even though she's going through some difficult times, remains steady and sure. Like Charlene, I hope that all of us may gain the information and skills we need to be able to share Christ effectively with the lost world around us. Let's pray together. Lord, we thank you for each one who is here, committed their weekend to, I pray, the skills that we learn, we may use, and may many here have the joy of seeing their family and friends come to a saving knowledge of your son, Jesus Christ, from the things we learn together this weekend. In Jesus' name, amen. This concludes Pat's message on Christians in post-Christian times. I hope you were challenged and inspired by Pat's message. If you missed any part of this study, log on at evidenceandanswers.org and you can listen to the entire study and enjoy other great resources right there on the site. Pat is the director of the Pacific Apologetic Center, a subsidiary ministry of the Bible Institute of Hawaii. Pat's ministry relies on the generous donations from you, our listeners. If you've been blessed by Pat's teaching, Please support him in prayer, and would you consider a financial gift by logging on at evidenceandanswers.org. Evidence and Answers Radio Show is a ministry of the Pacific Apologetic Center. Join us again each week as Pat and his guests provide reasons for faith and hope right here on Evidence and Answers. Oh, 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 oh.